0: Everybody. welcome to another episode of the Uncommon Comedy Podcast. I am your host, Brian April, and for the regular viewers, yes, you can see I am rocking my quarantine buzz cut, uh, basically shaved my head uh, because why not? I'm not going anywhere. So um, as always, so this these uh, episodes are available to listen to on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and on Spotify. If you want to watch the video versions, you can check us out on Facebook and or YouTube. And if you have any questions or comments about the episodes, please feel free to leave them in the comments below. Uh, or you can reach out to me. I am on YouTube.com slash Facebook.com slash Comedy Brian. And three days a week, I live stream on Twitch. If you want to interact with me live, uh, Twitch.tv slash Comedy Brian. So we're going to get right into it today. Uh, my guest, I'm actually really excited about my guest today. Uh, this is a little different. Normally, uh, the comedians that I have on the show I have a, a long history with them. We've done tons of shows with them. Uh, this this comedian, uh, this is actually the first time I'll be speaking with him. Uh, we've communicated a little bit over uh, email. I was listening to uh, SiriusXM in the car a couple years ago, and uh, this clip of this comedian came on, and I laughed so hard. It was so funny, and I had to like look and figure out exactly who this was to make sure that I could uh, look him up because it was – it was just amazing stuff that I, I really, really enjoyed. And so uh, I found uh, found out his name. I reached out to him. and I just said, hey, man, I think you're amazing. Just uh, you are going to be a household name uh, in no time. And uh, I'm, like I said, talked to him a little bit back and forth. And finally, we've got a chance to connect today. And I'm excited to hear his story and hear how he thinks a little bit and get to talk to the man. So please welcome the extremely funny Mr. Harris Anderson. Harris, how are you, sir? i'm very well brian how are you i'm doing well thank you um uh, like i said i i am I'm, I'm really excited to have you on today um most of the time like i said I, I know the people um and i always like to start off by saying what i what i like about a, a person's act and i just remember hearing your act i believe it was your um jfl just for laughs uh set uh, I, I don't know if it was an audition set or at jfl um and it was just extremely funny and i'd love the characters that you come in out of, the, the voices, the way you use your voice, um, your physicality on stage is really funny, and the topics that you do uh, are really funny. I mean, you have a, a joke about jazz that just made me laugh out loud. You have the, the whole thing about the board games, which is hysterical. And then you also take in um, some topics uh, about gun control. Um, you know, at least in America, which is a, a big deal, and um, you do it in a way that's very funny and nonpartisan and um, doesn't necessarily uh, anger anybody. And uh, I sense I heard, and I, I wanted to ask you this: I heard a little uh, diehard references in there. Is that uh, where you came up with some of those names?
1: Yeah, Hans Gruber snuck in there, but I separated. Yeah, it for <laughs> and last names. Uh, that's I'm so flattered, Brian. That's that's that's. That's a very kind thing to say. I'm, I'm glad you enjoyed it. I'm a big buyer of oh, too.
0: Oh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, we, uh, my wife and I were just like, we have to see this. And I think originally when we saw it, it just said uh, Harris Anders because my Sirius XM cut off. So we were looking for Harris Anders. And then <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs>
1: this guy doesn't exist. So yeah, he, he's, on, he's on the East Coast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. A, a rivalry going. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so let's
0: talk a little bit about you. Um, tell us uh, about um, who or what start, inspired you to start uh, performing.
1: Well, when I was a, a kid, Jim Carrey was the biggest guy on the planet. He was a rock star. And uh, I just remember watching those movies and just being just utterly enthralled with with what he was doing. And then when I got a little older, um this thing called the comedy network premiered in canada which is like your guys version of comedy central okay. and they would they would show uh highlights from the just for laughs festival that came on every day at about 3 30 so i right ran after school i would run home and i would just watch all these clips from the montreal comedy festival with all these different people and all these comedians that i eventually became some of my favorite comedians like brian regan you mentioned brian, brian mm-hmm. regan's my number one guy, Maria Bamford, Lee Evans, Pablo Francisco, all these all these people that. Um, so I I got the bug then, I think, and um, around 12 years old, I said, I really want to try stand up comedy, but I didn't work up the courage until I was 23. It took me about um, I think that's 11 years. <laughs> it took me 11 years to, to work up the nerve to actually try it after that but uh ever since then it's been uh, the main focus of my life i would say yeah. and uh, how long have you been performing just so we have a, a gauge not counting uh, the covid time i'd say about 8 years okay so it's been about 8 years now yeah
0: nice nice so you uh you said uh, maria bamford i love maria bamford it is is amazing uh she's so oh. amazing with how she just uses her voice and and changes and
1: yeah. And, uh, you know, I think you mentioned, um, well, we we both kind of use our voices. I mean, you do impressions and everything else. And um, I, I appreciate Maria Bamford so much, just from a technical standpoint, just what she's able to do with her voice, how she's able to create different characters just on stage alone. Same with her and Pablo Francisco, I think. Mm-hmm. Those two, in terms of their vo- of their vocal ability, are two of the best or two of the most talented technicians to ever get behind a mic just what they can do is unbelievable and i've always been attracted to that kind of approach of playing around with with physicality and voices and and characters and things like that
0: yeah Yeah. and now that you mentioned um uh for we were talking before we started and i said that to me you remind me of a a mixture of um Brian Regan, Jim Gaffigan, and uh early Dane Cook. Uh, but I can I'll totally see yeah, I can totally see the the Jim Carrey, you know, um uh, and yeah. again, you're you're your own person. I'm not saying that you're you're doing that, but I can see how those influences um so sure. I'm not saying that you see their act, but I'm just saying I could see how that could yeah. be an influence on you. Uh especially yeah, with the, absolutely. you know, use your words, Caleb. And you know, that's that's <laughs> something that I could totally see. Uh uh, being done. So, um, it's, it's so interesting though. Uh, do you get any grief for the, uh, like messing around with voices? Because I know for me, sometimes I get grief because, Oh, you do voices, you're a hack and whatever. And I just think it's nonsense. I think it's people just being, like, jealous that they, they can't do that. Or it's that, do you get a yeah, lot of Yeah I, don't
1: th- I, I, you, I mean, I get, I get ribbing from my friends and things like that, but it's all good natured. But um, in the be- in the beginning, definitely more. You get people that say, you know, you do your set, and people say, uh, "Oh, that was fun." Like uh, as as in uh, that had no comedic value, but it was it was a nice little interlude, I guess. <laughs> but but the way I look at it is that um, I would say that Bill Burr right now is kind of a comics comic. He's one of the most mm-hmm. popular comics in the world, and he's respected by comics everywhere incredibly physical performer and also um a much wider array of characters and voices and people give him him credit for Uh, you know i've 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 only really become an admirer of his in the last few years but he's i mean what what he does with the mic stand is 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 incredible he he uses the whole stage he's he's a performer he's the total package so when people say oh give you (laughs) grief for using your voice that's That's your main instrument as a a comic, so right. You're just exploring the full the reaches of your instrument. Not to say that I don't think you're not to say that I don't think that you're doing comedy wrong if you don't do (laughs) strange voices or impersonations, but to give to give comics grief for playing around with those sorts of things, it seems it doesn't the argument doesn't hold water for me.
0: Yeah, I think there's just a lot of um, I I think comedy can be a very bitter and jaded experience and people just take it out on, you know, their insecurities, their failures or whatever. And they just try to project it onto you and you mm-hmm. have to do this path. And uh, yeah. I think when you do that, you just end up being just another version of something that's come before you, just be you,
1: you know? Yeah, do what makes you happy. What's What's the point in, in doing a, a version of what some people think you should be? Exactly. <laughs> Would you say, uh, well, I mean, your impressions are very popular. It's obviously a big a selling point in your acts. Mm-hmm. What what percentage of your acts would you say is, is impressions?
0: It's actually not nearly as much as people would think. It's um, I use impressions more to flavor the joke, or to flavor the yeah. bit. Uh, I'm not doing a. Um, you know, I'm not doing Pablo Francisco, uh, Little Tortilla Boy or the Tortillanator. I'm not doing um, Frank Caliendo's Madden or, or anything like that. I will just <clears throat> come in with a bit and say, oh, I felt like, you know, Homer and then boom, just do a line or two and then out. Um, so it's it's just more of a way to uh, enhance a punchline or tag it. So it's a, I, I think it's a very small the, the, I guess the percentage of jokes that I have that have impressions is is probably pretty high, but the amount of impressions overall is isn't uh right. isn't very it, high. You know what I mean? The the number of words it, that I
1: it's in your arsenal.
0: Yeah. yeah, yeah, and there are a couple things that I'll do that are are, are specific things. Like I'll do a thing about um, Alan Rickman as the voice of Alexa or whatever. So like that that bit is much more of a, a voice centric thing, but for the most part, I just try to come in and out with a couple lines just for enough people to pop and then just kind of go back into another, you know, joke. Of so course. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's a weird percentage to, to try to figure out. Uh-huh. Um, so so let me ask you uh, this. Do you remember your first show?
1: Yes, I do. It was at the uh, Victoria Event Center in Victoria, British Columbia. Uh, I finally worked up the nerve to go to a comedy night. It was hosted by a very funny guy named uh, Wes Borg. And uh, I brought along my girlfriend at the time and some friends from the college I was going to. And it was definitely nerve-wracking. I'd I'd done theater before that. I'd been in amateur theater, musicals, stuff like that. But it it felt totally different, and uh, that caught me off guard. I, I, I wasn't going into it arrogant, definitely. But I thought, well, I've been on stage, and this is a stage. But it felt completely different and um, which I liked. I thought it was so, I thought, what a, what a delicious challenge this is. This is so, <laughs> you know, this is something I really stick my teeth into. And then shortly after, you know, about a year and a half later, I transitioned from, I stopped doing live theater and just put all my attention into comedy. It just felt like a better fit for me. Mm. Yeah, so I remember my first show pretty vividly. It I was lucky well. that it went okay. <laughs> Which I'm thankful for because, <laughs> you know, you, you 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 hear comics talk about their first show and they say, "Oh, I was so nervous and I it was horrible and the crowd hated me." And if I'd had an experience like that, I I don't know if I would necessarily have had the strength of character to try it again. Mm. Um, I'd like to think that I, I would, but I, I don't know. So, but I was very lucky that I had that support system and my first time went okay. I didn't get a standing ovation or anything, but there wasn't as much embarrassed silence as I thought there would be. Right. So I was very fortunate, I think.
0: And it's, it's funny how quickly you get hooked on that laughter. You know, you get, you get even, even if it's one laugh early on, you're like, I need more of that.
1: Absolutely. And
0: and it just makes you go through this, this gauntlet of just terrible shows. And, you know, in the beginning and all these weird locations and venues and, You'll you'll do whatever just to try to get out and get that laugh, and it's, it's, it's
1: yeah, so funny. it is. We're all we're all chasing that that one night and every I don't know hundred shows where just everything goes right and just your your brain is just firing on all cylinders and it feels like everything that comes out of your mouth is funny, and then the next hundred shows are horrible.
0: <laughs> and um,
1: but I I rationalize it by saying that the good nights are worth the bad nights. The oh, absolutely just supply
0: yeah absolutely that that one amazing show makes up yeah. for the 99 trash ones before it so and, and then you start to kind of uh, you start to kind of understand it a little bit you start to learn the psychology of it you start to learn the, the, the tips and tricks and and it starts to kind of even out and things kind of click for you and then so at what point did that happen for you did things start to to click
1: well, I don't know if they have fully or not. I I um, I still think I, I still think I'm still I think I'm still learning really. And um it definitely there definitely became I'd say there was a period where I was bombing what felt like every single show mm-hmm. for about s- six months or so. This was like I guess in my third or maybe first or second year within that time fairly early on that I was bombing almost constantly. And then I realized that, well, I think part of the reason I'm bombing is that I'm thinking about bombing before I've even gotten on stage and I'm approaching, literally approaching the stage from the, from the, from the, um, with dread in mind <laughs> and I thought, well, let's we've run, we've, run, we've run that experiment and that hasn't worked out too well. So why don't we? Why don't I try doing it from a place of excitement, and saying, "Okay, let's get on stage and just try it, and just throw the spaghetti at the wall and see what sticks." And that worked out a lot better for me once I once I started thinking about it of it thinking about my time on stage as an opportunity rather than a gauntlet where I was just constantly dodging embarrassment or 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 indignity, whatever. That was, that was kind of a turning point. And then I became more comfortable on stage, a little bit more comfortable.
0: Yeah, I think that's a really important thing that you, you say. It's, it's a, one of those human psychological um, things that you know they, they have those tests where they say, okay, look around your room and notice everything blue, and then close your eyes, and now tell me everything that's red. And so it's that perception of what you're, you're looking for. And most people can't do it because they were only focusing on the blue. So if you go up there with that perception of like, yeah, this is terrible, and I don't want to bomb, and I don't want this, you're, 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 if something doesn't go well or doesn't hit as well, you immediately go, oh, no, don't start bombing. Am I going to bomb? You know, And you start getting in that, that rut on stage, whereas if you said you go at it with excitement and what can I deliver and what can, what can we do that's fun, even if something doesn't hit as well, you go, all right, that didn't hit. Well, this next one is going to be – Good, and I think having that that mind frame is is such an important aspect of of building that uh, that comfortability on stage, and just uh, mm-hmm. looking at it from that perception is is so important.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that uh, the audiences are the audience as a whole is quite an intuitive creature, actually, and and if they sense that someone is. Scared, then they're less likely to laugh because they they can't feel it. They can relax with that person. Whereas right. if someone is on stage that can be loose and can have a joke not go well and just laugh it off, or just make fun of themselves, or just acknowledge that something awkward just happened, they feel a lot safer. They oh, it's okay. We'll get we'll get through.
0: We'll get yeah, through. absolutely, absolutely. They they totally can sense that, and they will mirror whatever whatever energy you bring up there. So if you bring up like a hey, we're going to have fun, and even though you may not be the funniest guy, if you're still having fun and, uh, you know, being entertaining and, you know, your personality is a, a positive thing, they're going to like you. You know, they may not, uh, like I said, laugh at everything, but if you just go up there and you're like, this is going to suck, then they're going to totally pick up on that. It's, uh, mm-hmm. They will mirror whatever you, you give them. It's so, yeah. so true. Um. What is the uh, best advice that you received about comedy or performing?
1: Well, I think the best advice was actually more of encouragement. Um, I, I asked, a, there was a, a comic that I st- admired and still greatly admire named Ivan Decker. He's just kind of making his way into the States now, but uh, I, you know he, he was and is kind of the gold standard in Vancouver. And uh, he, he at a show I saw I went up to him after a show and said, like, can you give me some advice or whatever? And he said, just keep doing what you're doing. And I realized that he did me a great service because I'm sure there's things in my act that he could have said, well, I think you should do this better. Or you should do try this instead or you should say this instead of this. But I think that's actually um, that can be quite harmful. And um, so I think the best advice is to, that one of the best of advice I received is don't really take advice on your material because you can be talked out of something that actually might be a perfect fit for you. And it's, right. ha- it's, happened to me as well, where, you know, the comics have said, Oh, I don't like this bit at all. Why are you doing this? This bit's lame or whatever. And even if I've just done it on stage and it's been received pretty well. So that's something And we all have our biases too. I, I've caught myself doing it. You know, if if someone who's just started comes up to me and says, do you have any advice or whatever? You know, and I was oh, and I sometimes tempted to say, "Well, you should try this something," and then I kind of have to just stop myself because that's not helping the person at all. You just kind of have to be true to yourself, I guess, and listen to. In terms of in terms of practical advice, there's one piece of practical advice that I would pass on to to anyone else, which is that uh, in this this uh, Canadian comic, Mike McDonald gave me this advice, and he said, "Record everything." Not your not just your sets, but your any ideas you think you might have. Even if, no matter how small it is, record it. Say it into your your phone or a tape or a tape machine, or write it down. But record everything because it, it takes a second to do, but it could turn into something huge. And uh, I followed that ever since, and I would wouldn't hesitate to recommend that to another comic. Just I keep I'm very religious about reco- not editing my ideas as they come to me. If something says to me like oh dogs wearing hats i'll just say into my phone dogs wearing hats even though it'll probably turn out to be nothing right. but it might turn out to be something so it's just it's a small investment that can turn out to be something big
0: yeah so, that's really good that,
1: advice yeah i was that was that was a turning point when i got that advice i would say <laughs> and yeah, it's but- a practice i've adopted <laughs>
0: That's that's really good advice. Yeah, you, I, my phone is full of just notes, and I just go, okay. <laughs> and you just look at it, you go back and go, yeah. I'm even thinking with this. But And then sometimes, you'll, oh, this worked perfectly.
1: Yeah. I look, about, I look at it as kind of filling the pantry, right? When you go to write, it's kind of like when you're hungry and you get, you're going to get a snack. And if you open your pantry and there's nothing in there, it's very disheartening. I'm hungry. Right. <laughs> There's nothing in there. But if you fill it with little things, even if they're just little tidbits, like snacks and things like that, little <laughs> ideas, one-liners, tags, anything, then when you go to write, then you have lots to choose from. All these little things can be expanded into larger things.
0: Hmm. And then, yeah, today you just go, yeah, today I feel like uh,
1: dogs with hats. And Exactly. Dogs and with hats it. is sitting there. <laughs> That's perfect. <laughs> and then, and then you're all, you're all set, yeah.
0: So what is the um, what is the the rest of your
1: writing process like? Well, I see I haven't I haven't written a lot in the last I haven't actually performed in five months. You know, I know it's crazy. A horrible, it's a horrible epidemic. But um, hopefully soon I'll get back into it. But usually when I write, I, I I sit down with my notebook and I have my my phone, which is where I record all my little ideas. And then I write. I, I usually end up writing quite long bits usually like three or so pages and then uh i'll go and try it out and maybe if i'm lucky one or two lines or one or two parts of it work Mm -hmm. and then i just i throw out what doesn't work and then i just go in the direction of whatever's whatever's working sometimes you hit the lottery and a bit that you had in your head goes on the page and then translates perfectly onto the stage it's so right it's so i don't know what, it, what it's like for you but for me it's that's so rare when that happens it's like a unicorn sighting but um yeah that's that's basically my process is i try to just i try to write as much as i can and throw as much of it on the stage and then whatever sticks uh, i go for that yeah
0: i think uh, also, as you as you do comedy longer uh, and you get, you know, the more you do it, well, and it doesn't matter if it's it's eight years or 23 years in my case or whatever, uh, you start to learn your voice and you start to learn kind of how you deliver things and you start to have this back, you know, catalog of, of knowledge of, okay, when I do this joke, this works. And when I say the words this way or punchlines this way, it works. And when I do this, it doesn't. And so you can start to, when you're writing, go, well, let me, you know, shift it and deliver it in this sort of tone. And you start to, to, for me anyway, write a little faster. So, um, depending on when the, I, I don't bring it on stage until, um, I've gone over it a few times. So I, I like to rant, I'm a ranter. So I will say something out loud and record it and then kind of go, Oh, that's funny. Um, and then work backwards to, to get to the, the punchline quickly, and then just say it out loud ten times or so just to get the marbles out of my mouth, just do the natural editing that we do when we we talk, and then I'll write it down, and then I can start to really nitpick, you know, let me move this word here, let me, you know, shift this here. And so by the time I bring it on, usually it it's pretty good, but I, I only will do that, I do it in small chunks. So I'll do like a uh maybe three jokes of it and just because I just want to make sure I don't want to go on stage with, you know, uh, two minutes of, of material and hope that it it all works. Um, because even if I have something that's good at the end and nothing else is good leading up to it, they're not going to laugh at the end at that good mm-hmm. part good because they've now determined everything else is not funny. So mm-hmm. I, I just sit there and I'll go, okay, I'm just going to start with this basic thing right here. And I have these other things ready to tack on if they work, but I don't want to spend all this time and energy if it's not going to, you know, uh, I guess, was it uh, throwing good money after bad or whatever that that phrase is. So Mm -hmm. uh, so I just go, okay, I'm going to do this simple little thing here. And this worked. Okay, great. Now let me expand it. So if my basic core premise isn't funny, then – I won't bring in the other stuff until it is. Right.
1: So that's kind that of makes- my- yeah, That's Yeah, that seems like a very sound approach. And um, it, it is hard sometimes. Your ego gets in the way when you don't want to throw something away and you think, oh, this is so funny. And sometimes yeah. sometimes you have, it hurts <laughs> shelving yeah. it. You think it's really funny, but I'd say that's the, the number one, at least from my point of view, the number one mistake I see people making when they're early on is just trying bits that don't work the same over and and over again. And it's just kind of madness to me. Obviously something needs to change. And, uh, yeah.
0: And I, and I'm not, um, dismissing the, the idea of, right. Like if if things are are flowing out of you, then by all means, like, write. If you can write three pages of stuff, like brilliant, that's great. Um, but as far as, Putting the extra effort into it for me, anyway. Like I said, I just, um, you know, I I write what's uh, for some some comics, and and so they'll always sit there and go, "Well, I want to do this and this." And I go, "Well, let's just make sure that this part works first before we spend an hour trying to do this tag to something that's yeah. not going to work." <laughs> so yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: that makes sense. Well. Yeah,
0: um, yeah, it's it's interesting. As, um you were talking about seeing, you know, newer comics go up and um, just not changing anything. How often do you kind of let something, um, how often do you tweak something? Is it, uh, you know, three shows, five shows, one show that you, you kind of judge, is this funny or not?
1: Uh, well, first time, if it doesn't work, I usually chalk it up to me being nervous about telling it for the first time uh i might try it again on a couple of shows usually if it's not working after you know maybe the third time i try it um i'll usually just shelve it and just sit yeah. i won't throw it away but i'll shelve it i'll say maybe i'll come back to this later and i'm sure you've had this experience where you you a bit isn't working for whatever reason or a bit you just tried then you just shelve it and then you bring it yeah. back a couple of years later and for some reason it starts to work yeah just, yeah that's a I, which never fails to amaze me i don't know i don't know how it works or whatever but yeah uh, it's, it's, i'm sorry go ahead oh no i know i was gonna say that also the, the 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 opposite seems to be true sometimes we have a bit that's worked and worked and worked and then one day you tell it and it just doesn't seem to work <laughs> you know <laughs> that's the worst yeah that is the
0: worst you're like why why is this no longer working yeah, yeah. You know, I had so, a, a, I had a bit. Ahead, of, no, it's okay. About uh, Obama and Trump, and it was a fat. It was a fat joke. It wasn't a uh, political joke at all. And I was just using their campaign slogans uh, and twisted with you know fat, uh, and mm-hmm. it worked great. And then, I mean, it worked really, really, really well. It was one of my best jokes. And then all of a sudden, you know, the the tensions and the Trump and all the the political starts to get closer. Aaron was just like, "We're done. We don't want to hear anything that even remotely talks about politics." And it just stopped working. And I was like, "Well, all right. I guess we're we're done with that. We'll put that away now." But yeah, yeah. I think also to touch on on, on your point a little bit too is you know going back and revisiting. It's um, when we when we start off and we have all these ideas and premises that may or may not work, and we go, "Well, that's not funny." Um, I always encourage people to go back and look at them after they've been doing comedy a while because your premises could still be funny. It's just you're a much better technician now or you're a much better writer or you're more comfortable on stage. So you can take that thing that was still funny to you back then and maybe you can come at it from a different angle now um, and a different approach. And so people sit there and go, oh, I used to do, try to do a bit about bathwater when I was whatever. And it never worked, and it's just not funny. It's like, well, now you've been doing it, you know, comedy another seven years or four years or whatever. Take that bathwater premise and rework it because there was something in your brain that said it was funny uh, when you initially wrote it, and now you're just more skilled and more talented. See if you can go ahead and do something with it now.
1: That makes uh, I would totally agree with that. That's and that um again goes back to my my thing about recording everything and being your own archivist. If you know, if you keep records, (laughs) you know, and if you're good at organizing your material and whatever way suits you, I have friends that make spreadsheets and things like that. Um, You you don't have to get that technical, but if you have something like that where you can go back and look through what you were doing, you know, four or five years ago, you, you exactly like you said, you can find something that will work now that you have a little more authority behind you. I've had that experience for sure.
0: Um, So here's my favorite question to ask. Uh, What was your worst show ever?
1: (laughs) Oh man. My worst show ever was probably, uh, this was a couple of Christmases ago. I got hired for a private Christmas party in someone's house. Uh, We show up. It's a guy who owns a, a personal training studio and, uh, He says, this is the corner of the room. You'll be standing. It was me and another guy. (laughs) And uh, he hand us this mic, uh, which is just a karaoke mic. You know, we (laughs) test it. It immediately feeds back. Like, (laughs) we're like, oh, God, this is going to be horrible. (laughs) And then uh, he just, uh, we were just kind of standing there. And then he says, uh, all right, everybody, the strippers are here. It's like, ah, ha, ha, ha but people are kind of confused because like, are they actually strippers? They're, they look a little sad. <laughs> so he's kind of hustles everybody down to the couch and, you know, people are holding hors d'oeuvres and everything. And <laughs> it's, the, it's a personal training studio and almost all his employees, he's the boss. Almost all these employees are these like gorgeous toned Amazonian women. And they just sit down like right up front. And I just started on my act, and they just look so unimpressed. And it, it, these gorgeous women just looking so unimpressed. And I'm like, this is like high school. <laughs> this feels just like grade eight all over again. And then he starts heckle- he starts heckling me. And I quickly realized, oh, he just wanted to bring comics that he could heckle in front of his employees so he would look funny and smart everything. And so I just did as best I could under the circumstances, which was pretty bad. And uh, you know, there was no laughter. And then I brought my friend on. Uh, I was like, okay, here's the other guy. <laughs> I just I just went and hid in the hallway near the bathroom and just stood there, uh, just uh, playing games on my phone, just for what well, my friend I think he did forty minutes or something. Wow. And uh, it was it was horrible. It was really horrible. <laughs> it was really really embarrassing. I think that's still the strongest contender for worst show. I remember that.
0: How, um, how long of a set did you do? Do you remember?
1: I think I was supposed to do 20 minutes and I did four. (laughs) I did longer longer than four. I think I ended up doing 12 minutes, but you know, I, I wasn't feeling it. They weren't feeling it for sure. So, Probably a little bit under my time, but it was an extraordinary circumstance.
0: So for people who don't do stand-up comedy and are listening, can you explain a
1: little bit of what goes through your brain uh, as that's all that stuff is happening? When you tell a joke and it doesn't work in front of a large group of people, to me, it feels like the air just gets just sucked out of your chest <laughs> and you're just this airless husk standing in front of everybody. It feels like, it's like your skin you can feel your like your cheeks turning to like porcelain almost like freezing it's like all your face loses all feeling you can hear everything so exquisitely just <laughs> and um it's yeah it's a horrible i mean it's a horrible it's a horrible <laughs> feeling it's really horrible it's but but the, the nice thing is the next day you get up and you realize oh my, everything's my, you know, my arms and legs are in the same place and everything, and you survived, you survived it. It does definitely toughen you up, and I don't dwell on embarrassment nearly as much as I used to. Um, it happens, and you get through it, but it's a terrible, terrible feeling. Oh, uh, it's so true. You you hear everything. You hear the little...
0: <coughs> <coughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> the You'll hear, like,
1: Oh, <laughs> sorry. Grant. Do you hear like the no. noise in the kitchen, or yeah, you can hear a blender starting up because you know someone makes a margarita. And, ooh, ooh. Uh, the worst heck- one of the worst heckles I've ever gotten. <laughs> wasn't even really a heckle, but I told this joke, and uh, it, you know there was like about one or one and a half, two seconds of silence, and then this lady just went, "What?" <laughs> that, was, that was the most cutting. In one syllable, she managed to destroy me. We just, ugh, it was horrible. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, but you learned to laugh about it. Oh, laugh absolutely! It
0: now. Yeah, you learn that you go, okay, I'll be fine. Like this is the worst thing that can happen. And uh, how do you, um, how do you normally deal with hecklers?
1: I, I, I am not the best at dealing with hecklers. I'll be the first to admit it. Um, I get very protective of my material. Sometimes too sensitive, you know. <laughs> um uh yeah I'm still I'm still working on that I've you know I've been heckled I've managed to hold my own and keep going with the show and everything I'm not a technician like some people are where they can talk to the person and just like just seamlessly move into their next bit while talking to the heckler so that's kind of something I need I need to I need to work on mm-hmm. um you have to acknowledge it obviously because if Actually, sometimes, if it's not loud enough, sometimes I will just ignore it. If someone no. in the front is just like... Uh, 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 and I think, well okay, it's, it's stopping the show and talking to this one person is not worth it because most people did not hear it. So then I'll just ignore it. If it's obviously something where you know there's a moment of silence and someone yells something, you have to say something. You just have to talk to them. And usually, the audience... Well, what I found is the audience is on your side anyways because they realize that they're the audience and you're the comedian, so... Just talking to the person will usually be funny to them because you're going off scripts and obviously and talking to someone, and that's exciting to them, I think, yeah. so a- acknowledging it if it's loud enough for everyone to hear is would obviously be something that you have to do, i think, and uh, beyond that i I really don't know I have to figure it out, <laughs> you know yeah' Some are so good at it
0: I know it's amazing to me i i i um I I'll tend, I try to think that my my act and the way I perform doesn't generally allow for hecklers because it's, mm-hmm. you know, it's kind of a upper tempo and it's just this train that kind of keeps moving. But um, if somebody says something, uh, even if I hear it or not, I'll just do like a whatever, just like a, oh thanks dad or whatever. If it's a guy, if it's a woman, thanks mom, just something sure. or you know that's my wife or, you know, just something stupid and quick. And then I just like keep moving on. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I generally try not to get into the whole weeds of like, what did you say to me, sir? Like I, cause that's just not my, my strength or my forte. So I just kind of sure. go, you know uh, you know, just pick something. So oh, here's the, here's the mayor or here's the whatever. And yeah, uh, you guys are very friendly. Thank you. You know, and so yeah. I just kind of move on. So, yeah,
1: it's, it sounds like we're probably kind of we have the same kind of philosophy towards it.
0: Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. I the, the less I talk to the
1: audience, the better. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's I feel it. the same way. Well, like you know, I, uh, I, Brian Regan. Brian Brian Regan is my hero, and he doesn't really talk to the crowd at all. He, he has you know he has dealt with hecklers and everything, but right, you can tell you can tell it's not what he thrives on the way some comics do, you know? Um, so I, I would kind of put myself in that camp. I don't really, I don't like being heckled. I don't, I don't thrive on it. I don't think I, yeah. I'm particularly good at shutting people down or, or dealing with it, but I, I do what I can.
0: Yeah. I, have never been a fan of that. I, I like keeping the, the ball of focus, as I like to say, because once you throw it in the audience, you just have to hope you get it back. Yeah. I mean, there are some times when someone's just really drunk or belligerent or whatever, and you, like you said, you have to acknowledge it. And uh, mm-hmm. I, I always try to address it with kindness, mm-hmm. uh, and then just move on. And because you want to make sure that the the crowd likes you more than the, you know, than the, the heckler. Because I've seen uh, <laughs> there was this one comedian who didn't matter if he was in minute one or minute you know fifty. If someone said anything, he would just be like. Turn and snap and yell at them. Yeah, and just be like, "Shut up!" And you know, I don't go, you. You know, and just went right at them. And the audience would be like, "Wow, what a jerk!" You know, like especially if it's early on. Mm-hmm. It Who's the audience? So it was just. Yeah. I've always kind of been like, "All right, make sure that they're on your side first. <laughs> so
1: yeah, the the punishment should fit the crime. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Someone just <laughs> goes woo. You're yeah, what did you say? They start <laughs> freaking out then exactly probably, probably the
0: best approach. So uh, we talked about your Christmas party at a person's house. Is that the weirdest place that you've performed?
1: That probably is the weirdest as well. Yeah. I mean, you, you, you know what it's like when you start starting out or even just doing, just, just being a comic in a city, you do, you know, shows in bagel restaurants and things like that. <laughs> Weird little bars and lounges and things like that. But um, that can also that can be really awesome sometimes. Sometimes taking things out of a comfort zone is is uh, is really rich territory. Yeah, and I've had some of the best shows. So I feel like some of the best sets I've had have been without a mic, wherever that shows where the mic is broken and the people have to just use their voice or whatever. And sometimes that's awesome. It's, mm. It makes people really listen, you know.
0: Right. I enjoy. I I enjoy performing somewhere I've never performed before and like a weird scenario. Like I always enjoy that. And I always try to say yes to it, even though I know most likely it's going to be terrible. <laughs> uh, you know, there are certain things uh, like this, was it this year? Yeah, it was this year before uh, COVID I did a, a show in an airport and, and it was in an oh. airport food court. And wow. so taking the gig, you just know this is going to be terrible, but it was like, I wanted that that ability to be like, yeah, I did a show in an airport food court, <laughs> you know, wow. and airport it was, food court, and it was just as bad as you can imagine. Um, I, as yeah, you I've never imagine. heard of it. Yeah, That's neither have these people,
1: <laughs> 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 and neither yeah. have the audience. <laughs> so, well, a lot of them, I would, a lot of them, I would imagine, were travelers, and some probably yes. speak English and
0: uh yes that is correct we were near the international airport uh, the international terminal so we had a lot of people who didn't speak english oh and you had people just on a layover just getting their food eating and, and leaving or catching a flight so the crowd was always like every five minutes would shift and so um, if you tried to do material that was based on other things it didn't go well and it, it didn't go well for anybody um it, it was That's so bad right. I took out my phone on stage and like <laughs> recorded and no one cared because nobody was listening. Uh, yeah. But in hindsight, that would have been a wonderful opportunity to work on crowd work.
1: Um, yeah, exactly. And when so the they said, we're the going
0: to do this again. You know, that was the funny thing. The the people at the airport were like, this was great. We're going to do this again. And so I was like, I'll do it again. I'll work on crowd work next time. You know, it's so you, you yeah, just yeah, kind yeah. of learn and go, okay, maybe I could – you know, work on, on some different skills, but yeah, there are all sorts of these terrible shows that you just go, I want to do
1: it. You know, that puts you in an interesting position because I don't know, I don't know if this is the same thing in, in the States, but in Canada, when you get, when you're going through customs, they have a, a sign up that says no jokes. It actually says, that. Yeah. so you're performing probably not that far from an area where legally you were not allowed to tell jokes.
0: Yeah, the they ours are a little more specific. No jokes about bombs or weapons or oh, okay. you know, things of that. Yeah, you know. they're not going to go knock knock. You know, not. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, not yeah, going to come over and you know put the glove on and. <laughs> put the, but yeah, that was that was a very weird experience. And you know, I've I've done you know, like a, a a nudist resort. I've done a sweet sixteen birthday party. I've done like all these. Uh, a teen beauty contest, like all these bizarre things, that I'm like, there's no reason I should be here,
1: <laughs> you know. Did you? Were you? Did you have to be nude to do the nudist colony? No. 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 Okay.
0: Yeah, thankfully I, uh, I I jump around too much. I was a
1: bit too, so. say, a bit too excited <laughs> to ask that. I'm sorry.
0: Yeah. No, it's okay. One uh, <laughs> one comic uh, was like, well, you know, thought he would be cool and flashed the crowd, and they were like. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Everybody else is is uh is is naked, and um, it's kind of the thing about a nudist resort is uh, at least in this particular one, it's never the people that you would kind of hope to see. Um, that's uh, that's, <laughs>
1: that's you know, that's it's so
0: <laughs> yeah, and so the audience you have people with knees in different time zones and just. Um, so you, you just, I I just tried to like play to the wall above everybody Uh, or I I make the joke now of, you know, I take that old advice. Just imagine everyone in their underwear, uh, more comfortable, but it was, yeah, it was, it was, it was bizarre. It was a a definitely a bizarre show, but it was, it was fun. I mean, it was money.
1: Yeah. It's an experience, man. It's a story. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. And I love I love having something like that that you can just share and just go, well, I I did this and this was really bizarre. So. Mm -hmm. uh, (laughs) So we are uh, we are talking right now with uh, Harris Anderson, a comedian and actor and uh, very, very funny. You can follow him uh, on social media. You can follow him on Instagram at the Harris Anderson and you can follow him on Twitter at Hello Harris, which is H U L L O Harris, H A R R I S. Um, now, Harris, uh, you, so now you're, you're kind of like a vet now in, in the game. And uh, we talked a little bit about advice, but do you have any additional advice or, or what are some of the mistakes that you see
1: uh, a lot
0: of new comedians making?
1: I'm very cautious about, I think I mentioned before, I'm very cautious about giving yep. advice to, to people. Because I don't, the last thing I want to do is talk someone out of pursuing a certain style. I've I've heard of it happening, uh, mm-hmm. you know, with people that are young, kind of young in the game. And then someone comes up and says, why are you doing that kind of humor? Why are you, why are you working, why are you working blue? Why are you working dark? Why are you doing political stuff? You should do something else. And then right. they do it. And it's, it's not as effective ultimately as if they just pursued what they wanted to do or come into that naturally. So I don't want to ever do that to a person. Right. Um, from a practical standpoint, I would say that in the it, uh, in the beginning, it, you, your time is kind of precious, so use it well, have a plan. It used to kill me when I would be, you know, at open mics and it was one in the morning and someone had waited till, you know, three hours to get on stage or something. They would get on stage and within 30 seconds they'd be saying, like, oh, what should I talk about now? Or just kind of, like, talking to the... It's like you've been here for three hours, and you don't know what you're going to talk about. I would say always have, always have a plan for for what you're going to do in those early days. Um, even if you're, even if you say I'm going to I'm going to do loose stuff. To, if that's your plan, then go for it. If you say I'm going to work on crowd work tonight, and I'm just going to try to talk to people in the crowd or just kind of get used to being without a net, that's fine. Or, but if you you know have material, like don't. Don't bail on that and start saying, What should I talk about halfway through it? I would say. That Um, is, you know, have a plan of what you're going to do. I would say, before I went on stage at open mics, because I'd been, you know, I'd been there for like four hours and I had to work the next day, right? And I had five, you know, five (laughs) minutes. So I thought, well, this is pretty precious time. So I'm going to work on this. I'm going to try this tag with this bit again. I'm going to try this bit that I tried last week. And then I'm going to try. Using this closing bit as a, an opening bit this time, and see if it works as an opener and a closer. So I would say have have a plan. Even if if it bails and if if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. But just have a plan and and, and try to use those those precious five minutes in the in the beginning very very wisely. Don't. My uncle told me when I worked for my uncle, he I was he was in construction. I was working construction with him. I was struggling with something. And he came up to me and said, "Don't work hard, work smart." And then you showed me a better way of doing it that required less effort. That's always, stuck. That's always stuck with me. When I see people churning through a bit that doesn't work for the 19th time or whatever, and they're just making it really hard on themselves, I think that that person is maybe not using their time as effectively as they could. Mm. Trying to develop a specific muscle, trying to work on a specific bit, trying to see if a certain tag works in a different room, etc. Stuff like, stuff like that.
0: We have uh, extremely similar uh, views on this. That is my number one piece of advice: is have a goal when you go on stage. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, that that would infuriate me beyond belief. Uh, just to see someone go, no, what do I want to talk about? Like, get off stage. Just get off, get off my stage. I got stuff I want to do. You know, I don't yeah. want to stand here forever while you sit there and you know have no idea what you want to do. It's so so true. You know, work on your oh. nervous ticks. Work on, like you said, your tags. Mm-hmm. So true.
1: Yeah, even if you just want to say to this this set, I'm going to work on speaking clearly and loudly and clearly so that everyone can hear me. Or, exactly. like you said, work- working on your ticks, so your physicality. I'm I'm going to try holding the mic stand with the mic a different way or something like that. It doesn't have to be absolutely. a big thing. But just have yeah, something.
0: <laughs> I keep stepping on my punchline. I'm going to not stumble over that word today. I'm going to, you sure. know. I'm mm-hmm. not going to say um a lot or whatever, whatever it is. Yeah. Absolutely. There's so many things. And that's regardless of how many people are in the audience or not. And I think so many people get caught up trying to get laughs on open mics. Uh, mm-hmm. so, and I don't know how they are in Canada, but a lot of them here in the States are just comedians. Uh, as yeah. the there, yeah. there are very few that have quote unquote normal people in the audience. And in that case, then I go, okay, let's see. You know, I'm a little more uh, concerned about laugh Um, because I have a a better judge and I'll do something that's proven so I can gauge it. You know, I'll do one proven joke. So I go, okay, here's where they're laughing on this proven joke. And now here's my new joke. And so I can gauge it based on the reaction I get, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, kind of knowing where they are. But if it's all comics, it's like, all right, practice on auditioning for uh, you know, America's got talent or a TV show because you know, be yeah. comfortable with not getting laughter. Try that. Like, make that something to work on. You know, there's all sorts of things. So, yeah. So no, I agree. Um, what is the uh, what is the the scene like in Vancouver actually?
1: Well, it's it, you know, I mean, it's sure it's, sure, uh, it's the same where you are. It's, things are just kind of coming back. I mean, I'm not there. I'm actually not in Vancouver right now. I'm on Vancouver. Oh, yeah. I'm in Vancouver Island. I've been here for like, for like five months now. <laughs> just because things are definitely taking a hit there like the comedy club is not open um it's a, you know hopefully it comes back strong and people are able to get back into it and crowds start coming back you know i i don't know what is when that's going to be but before <laughs> before that <laughs> before the great pandemic there it was a good it was a good scene it was it was competitive it was um it was challenging vancouver audiences can be tough nuts to crack you know they kind of tend to vary and ter- vary from from different parts of town it's different audiences to, probably a bit on the reserved side but mm. i think i think it's a good proving ground
0: mm. Um, is there a uh, a perception that um, either you or uh, Canadian audiences or or Canadian comedians have of uh, U.S. comedians?
1: Perception of U.S. comedians? <laughs> I think uh, not really. I I don't not that I'm aware of. I mean, I think kind of Canadian comics. I mean one there's kind of a brotherhood that exists between comics. I feel that right. kind of transcends borders and it's just kind of, it's like, Oh, another comic, you know, who happens to be from the U S. Uh, I don't, if, if audiences have a different perception of them, I'm not sure what it is. Um, I think American comedians from what I've seen tend to be more confident. They tend to be a little more assured of themselves, which is a good thing. Uh, That's so I think, and it's I think it's the same with Canadian actors as uh, as well. I've heard that American actors are much more assertive in the audition room than Canadian actors. Canadian actors tend to be a little more apologetic and eager to please, which is not not necessarily the a, a good quality to have. So, I would say, yeah, I would say that if there is perception, it's amongst audience members that the mm. American comics are more confidence, more willing to just say what's on their mind. And, and Canadians, I think, tend to kind of tiptoe around things a little more.
0: Interesting. Yeah. Huh. That's very interesting. That's, uh, yeah, I I think there, part of it could be, um, considered arrogance, you know, like the, the Canadian, it's always like, oh, they always apologize for it. Oh, so sorry. And, you know, uh, all that sort of stuff. But I think, uh, at least in dealing with people from a business standpoint, there's there's humility and uh, being humble and being um easy to work with is such a huge, huge uh, bonus.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, so many people just ignore that and they get this like diva mentality. Well, this is you know
1: what yeah I,
0: this is what I do, and this is what I say, and this is how I yeah,
1: act. yeah, that happens in Canada, too. That definitely so, happens with with people. you know I've seen people that have you know, gotten a break or whatever, and they just turn into different people, which is just sad to see. It's, but yeah, I think that's, that's showbiz. It can bring out the worst in people. I
0: think. Oh, absolutely. Sometimes. Sometimes. Absolutely. Um, we're going to, um, uh, I'm going to ask you about if you had any funny audience stories in a second. I don't know if you have any off the top of your head. Uh, So I'm going to give you a a minute or so to kind of think about that. But right now we are uh, talking with Harris Anderson. He's a comedian and actor uh, up in Canada. Extremely funny and uh, just one of my favorite uh, comedians to to listen to and and to watch. And I'm excited to talk to him today. Uh, Definitely check him out. You can follow uh, him on Instagram at TheHarrisAnderson. uh, And on Twitter you can uh, follow him at HelloHarris, which is H-U-L-L-O Harris. Um, So – wondering uh do you have any weird uh or interesting audience stories whether that was you on stage or uh another comedian
1: well, i'm trying to think of because
0: <laughs> we all have like fights and you know but I mean, well maybe we don't all have fights but there are, there are brawls that break out um you know there are people that yeah. charge the stage there are
1: uh... yeah i've been pretty lucky with those things though honestly i uh, I, oh, I was at one show where uh, it was a show that had been sponsored by this real estate company. And the real estate company showed up and they were just the most disagreeable, rude, entitled uh, collective that you've ever seen in your life. And they were just loud and heckling and they were horrible. And uh, I remember they had a cutout of themselves on stage, like a cardboard cutout. Like, we sponsored the show. <laughs> we're ruining it. And so uh, this is very uncharacteristic of me, but I was so annoyed I just grabbed the cutout during my set and just shoved it in front of their table. I said, "You guys watch this because that's obviously all you're interested in is yourself." <laughs> and then I walked out on stage and just did my set too. This this really nice table of people that actually wanted to see a comedy show. But that's very uncharacteristic of me. I normally don't do that sort of stuff. But then later on in the set, some one of them, uh, the, the headliner. Made a joke about one of the ladies, and the guy whipped a ketchup bottle at his head, and uh, <laughs> which, which, thankful, which thankfully missed because uh, that would have worked. And then they were so they got so I watched a sponsor, a group of sponsors get kicked out of their own show that they had sponsored. <laughs> that was pretty interesting. I've I, yet to see that again.
0: <laughs> That's so bizarre. Why? Yeah, I I never understood the the logic of people who uh, go to a show uh, with just the. Intention to make it all about them or to heckle. I mean, bachelorette parties do this all the time, as, as you know. And it's just, you ever want to depress yeah. a comedian tell him a bachelorette party is in the audience? <laughs> but um, but yeah, especially if they sponsor the show and then they just are loud and obnoxious and uh, or the ones who pay twenty, you know, twenty five dollars and just sit here like make me laugh. And it's like, dude, yeah, you, lighten up. You're the one who paid the money. Like you laugh, I get paid. You don't laugh, I get paid. Like
1: yeah. Also, who would hire that? Comp- who would hire one of those realtors after being at that show? Like I'm so I'm selling the biggest investment I'll make in my life. What about, what about that fellow that was screaming at that young comedian during his set? He seems like a like a sensible good good person about?
0: to tour an empty house with.
1: Yeah. Come on, you moron! Get with it. Unbelievable. They just shoved the contract
0: in your face. Sign it. Sign yeah. it.
1: <laughs> That's so funny! Unbelievable. Uh,
0: so let's talk a, a little bit about. Uh, you have a, an organization that you wanted to, to spotlight, and uh, I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about uh, the Wilderness Committee.
1: Yeah, the Wilderness uh, Committee is um, is a group that my my mom actually alerted me about. My mom's been an environmental and uh, animal rights activist for uh, since before I was born, and continues to be so. Uh, and so I was uh, I was raised in a household that was we were always taught about what was going on in terms of the environment and things like that. And uh, so my mom actually alerted me to this like nonprofit group called the Wilderness Committee, which has been around since 1980. It's a nonprofit. Uh, it has its head office in Vancouver, and basically what they do is they're uh, committed to establishing protected areas of forest. Uh, they, they pursue court cases, to protect you know, areas of forest and endangered species, things like that. They lobby politicians and put pressure on politicians to preserve, uh, you know, preserve areas of wilderness and uh, educational programs for schools and things like that to, to let uh, kids and people know about the importance of preserving uh, these these areas, um you know, it's a very it's a very sensitive issue in Canada because there are people that make their living in forestry, and um it's you don't to a lot of people when you when you talk about forestry and and protecting forestry, uh, that people think oh well, you're trying to take away my job you're trying to take you know food from out of food from my table and things like that, but it really it's just. Uh, it's it's the short sightedness I think of many of these logging companies, in which they will just log. They'll raise hectares and hectares of land, uh, just just to make a few bucks. Mm. So I think it's, uh, it's it's a very important uh, charity, and um, you know I hope to support it in the future. And um, I think they do great work. That's awesome.
0: And uh, if people want to uh, get involved and check it out, they can go to www wildernesscommittee.org. You can also check them out on Instagram and Twitter, at Wilder, W-I-L-D-E-R, News, uh, N-E-W-S. That's wildernesscommittee.org or at Wilder News on Instagram and Twitter. I just want to say thank you again. I want to thank the the viewers and the listeners for watching. Uh, Again, check out uh, Harris Anderson on Instagram and Twitter at the Harris Anderson on Instagram and hello Harris H U L L O on uh, hello H U L L O Harris on Twitter. Uh, again, thank you so much for for being here. It was uh, awesome to to finally get to to talk to you a little bit and uh, learn a bit a little bit about your uh, your story and and uh, your thought process. And uh, I hope uh, this pandemic ends soon. We can all get back out and work. And I would love to to do something with you, whether it's here in the states up in Canada. Let's uh, let's get together and, and try to, to to raise some money and uh, just do some shows together. So.